0: Welcome to the podcast of the River Anglican Church. This week is the fourth week of Advent, and we're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. So here is Senior Pastor Jonathan Tagg with that message. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Let's let's pray and ask the Lord to, to bless our time. And you can turn my mic down just a little bit so I don't blow people out. Thanks. Lord, just uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit. and. Thank you for your word. It is such a privilege to be able to hear your word, to be able to sit at your feet, to know that you have promised to be present with us, Lord, and that your word is powerful. It cannot be separated from your character. It's loving, it's tender, it's strong, it's effective. So God, may we have a sense of Gratitude this morning just even to be here, just even to to have the honor of, of sitting at your feet. Lord, would you take uh, down any barriers in us, any skepticism, any jadedness? Uh, we pray that you would open us up and give us hope in areas where there may not be hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So my name is Jonathan Tagg, it's good to see you if I haven't met you yet this morning. Um, And we're doing the lectionary, which is this cycle of reading that over a billion people do. Uh, We don't do it all year, but we're in it right now. The lectionary is a cycle of three-year readings. And this Sunday, uh, I really felt compelled to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And uh, as a lifelong Protestant... Uh, especially, you know, having pastored a non-denominational church when I was in my early uh, mid-twenties um, and then going on to be Presbyterians, uh, Presbyterian for eight years, uh, we didn't really want to have anything to do with Mary. You know, Mary was, to talk about Mary was to, like, talk about Catholic stuff, you know, so we just kind of ignored Mary and anything that sounded like the Roman Catholic Church. We ignored pretty much everything before the Reformation, But becoming an Anglican has revived uh, my interest and my passion for these people who've been lost in kind of, you know, hyper-Protestantism. So we're going to talk about Mary and learn from her and learn from her testimony without, like some, teaching anything that's beyond what the Bible says about her. So I'm going to start with some background, then we're going to look at the Scripture, and then we're going to talk about application. So in terms of background... Uh, It's likely that when Jesus spoke to Mary, he didn't actually call her Mary because Mary is more of a a Greek modification of the term of the name Miriam. And so more than likely, when he talked to his mother, he used the name Miriam. This is important because you might remember that Moses' sister, her name was Miriam. And the the story there is that Moses' sister protected uh, Moses, Israel's deliver from a genocidal king. Well, what do we see in Luke chapter 1? But we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, protecting Jesus by going to Egypt from Herod, a genocidal king. The stories are kind of layered on top of each other. So the Old Testament goes even further, and it prophesies that there would be a woman who would come who would bear God himself, Emmanuel, Isaiah chapter 7 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Remember, this is written 700 years before Christ. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Well, a little bit more background about Mary. If you haven't thought about her, which I hadn't, uh, she was born in Nazareth, with very little known about her except from what the apocrypha says. You might remember the apocrypha is uh, is a are some early church documents that the Protestant Church uh, uh, decided were not, uh, you know, canonically authoritative, so they were kept out. But the apocrypha tells us that if it's true that Mary was born and her parents were actually quite old, and so they they uh, passed away when she was very young. We know from the New Testament that Mary which was from the lineage of Levi, whereas Joseph was from the lineage of Judah. And this is important because Jesus was born as both a priest, a Levite, and he was born as a king, like Judah. We know that Mary was very young, more than likely around 13 years old when all this happened, because that was the age that most Jewish girls were betrothed at that time period. And it's fair to assume that Mary was probably not really well educated. In fact, she was probably illiterate because, in that time, uh, you know, girls didn't have the same education as as men. She was more than likely a peasant, one of the lowest classes, one of the uh, lowest classes of Jewish culture. Because um, we know that they couldn't procure good lodging uh, when they went to give birth to Jesus. They didn't have the family connections and ended up staying in. A makeshift cattle stall. And we know that when Joseph and she offered, uh, made their offering at the temple, do you remember what they made the offering of? Turtle doves. It was the bare minimum that a person could offer God at the temple. And, you know, uh, it was the bare minimum. So, Mary, the mother of Jesus, as far as the wealthy and, you know, the popular uh, folks in Israel, she was a nobody. She was a illiterate, uneducated, uh, you know, low-class girl from Nazareth. And yet, God would use this young girl to bear and to raise the Son of God. So Mary would be present at Jesus' birth, obviously, with magi from the east as we think about the story, and with angels and shepherds announcing his arrival, and with people like Simeon and Anna at the temple who confirmed his messiahship, and they're like, what is this? She would see him embraced and enjoyed and loved. She'd see him rejected and mistreated. He was even, by his own family, thought to be insane. Do you remember that scene when he comes back to his hometown and they're like, he's crazy, I don't don't get him. Some people thought he was demon-possessed. She would know a joy that's unique to any other person in the world to be the mother of God. And yet she would also know a pain that was so deep, as Simeon prophesied that a sword will pierce your own heart too. She would see this m- magical, mystical son born, and she would also see him executed, and she would see him resurrected. So, this is a little background to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. If you want to turn there, if you want to look in your phone, that's great. We really encourage people to kind of follow in the scriptures. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 to what the chapter tells us about Mary, which is really significant. I'm going to read just the first part that was not read. Luke chapter 1, they read 39 through 55, 56. And I'm going to read uh, Luke 1 beginning at verse 26 just to give us that background. So Luke one twenty six says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Why? Because she was afraid. (laughs) Mary, you've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since... I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to have been unable to conceive in her sixth month is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Well, I just want to make three brief observations about Mary from this passage. And the first thing we see about Mary is that she was humble. Because when the angel brought her this unexpected news, she could have responded a variety of ways, but She simply asked for clarity, and she simply asked for understanding. After that long soliloquy from the angel, and he talks about reigning over his descendants forever in verse 33, his kingdom will never end. What does she say? She says, how can this be? How can this be? I'm a a virgin. How can this happen? You know, you might remember... In the New Testament, this fellow named Zechariah who heard from the angel. You remember that story? He was in the the temple because he was the high priest that year. When he heard, he scoffed. He disbelieved, and so he was not allowed to speak until his son, John the Baptist, was born. You might remember Sarai, the wife of Abraham, who when she heard, she kind of laughed. Like, (laughs) "Yeah, sure, like I'm going to have a baby, which was basically a scoff. But that wasn't Mary. Mary had a different spirit about her. She believed. It wasn't a question of if, like if God could do this. It wasn't a question of even why, which would be a valid question God, why? Why do this? Why me? It was more of a question of how. How can this be? How can this happen, God? How how can I bear God Himself, not questioning His motives? but seeking understanding. Secondly, Mary was submissive. And when the angel explained God's will and God's plan, she, without delay, she basically said, okay, let it be as you have said. See, the angel's message to Mary would be life-changing. How can you hear a message like from an angel like this, that you're going to bear God himself, that his, his kingdom will, will never end and all this? How can... You hear a message like that and not know that your life is going to change. She did. He said that the Spirit will come upon you and that the Holy One will overshadow you, that the Holy One would, in a miraculous, mysterious way, that the Holy One would literally impart Him's very self into Mary. He would, you know, she would conceive God's child. And the last time those words were heard. If you think about the Old Testament, we're in people like David, when the Spirit came on David, and, or Samson. You know how it ended for Samson, not very well. The Spirit came on Elijah, the Spirit came on Elisha. Maybe her head was filled with, man, that cost them their life when the Spirit came on them. Their lives were never the same, and yet she accepted it. She responded, may your word be to me, like it, like it said, may it come to pass. Third, Mary was God-glorifying. And it, it amazes me, you know, when Mary was discussing the events with Elizabeth, what she ended up saying to Elizabeth. Um, she could have said a lot of things like, man, uh, what's my life with Joseph going to be like? You know, we had a different plan for kind of what it was going to look like than, than this. She could have complained. She could think, you know, is our life going to be better or is it going to be worse? What's going to be the ramifications of this child, of of this new life in me? But she didn't. She didn't complain. She didn't vex over all those questions. What was her focus? Well, here in verse 46, her focus was, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 46 and 47. And then she just goes on with this incredible gratitude. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant, like I'm a nobody. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, and so forth. Mary was God glorifying. Well, what does this mean for us? And there are three points of what it means for us, and they're taken directly from what it meant for Mary. And the first is that we are to be humble. Like Mary to be humble, were to trust God's will. No matter how surprising, no matter how much a change of plans of what we have set for ourselves, were to say, God, I, I trust you, just like Mary. And I was thinking about humility. You know, Thomas Akempis says that humility is neither thinking too high of ourselves, but also too low of ourselves. I love that. It would be prideful to think too low of ourselves. And, but, he, but I also love the idea that humility is openness and pliability. The word meekness really means pliability. It means flexibility. It means when God changes our plans, when God changes the way our life look, looks, that we, like Mary, can say, may it be as you have said. My mind was drawn back to people like Abraham. You remember when Abraham called? God said, go to a place. Do you remember what he said? go to a place. Yeah, it's it's absolutely gorgeous, you know. No, he didn't say that at the time in Genesis, whatever it was, Genesis 12. He said, go to a place that I will show you. Go somewhere, and I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm not going to tell you what it looks like. You are called to just get up and go. My mind was drawn to Peter when Jesus invited him out onto the water to defy the natural, to do something that He'd never seen anyone do, and Jesus called him out onto the water. Humility is, when, is what we demonstrate when life throws us the unexpected, and when God allows the unexpected, like in Mary's life, and we say, God, may it be as you have said, I trust you. I don't need to know all the details. I don't need to, I don't need to know five steps down the road. I just need to know one step down the road, and that's the step I'm going to take. So a question comes to mind about what, what God is doing in your life this morning. You know, what passions and what dreams do you have that maybe you've started to try to fill in the details and fill in the cracks, and that's really not our job. It's our job to do what God has called us to do, not to know everything, not to know what it's going to be like when we step on the water or when we, like Abraham, leave our hometown. Or like Mary, when the angel leaves us and we're left to think about. So, what fire has he put in you? What dreams? What passions? And also, what sins or what areas of rebelling, rebellion is he calling you and saying it's time to leave these behind? And you're to trust me. Not, you know, maybe you're sarcastic or you're jaded or you're you've you've been thinking poorly about God in the past because of something that's happened to you. I don't know. That's the Lord's job, to tell you. But the point is that we're to walk humbly with God and leave the details to him. I was remembering this verse in Micah that I want you to think about. It's a great verse to memorize, by the way. It's very simple. But he said in Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Isn't that an amazing verse just to think about? God says, just act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with me. Secondly, we're to submit to God's will. And when the angel told her how, you know, the the Lord will overshadow you, and he couldn't really explain how all this miraculous, mysterious, you know, uh, conception was going to work, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. But let me give you a little bit of historical background to just the power of this context, which you may or may not know, because in that day and age, when a girl was betrothed to a guy, betrothal was like being a, a, you know engaged, but it was more serious. When a young lady like her was engaged to a guy and she became pregnant out of wedlock, or she became pregnant not from the person she was betrothed to, that that man had two choices. One was to divorce her publicly or to divorce her privately. And so we know that when, if he were to divorce her publicly, she, that meant that she would go through a court, like a religious court, and if she were found guilty, that she would be stoned. In case she would die if he were to divorce her publicly. Now, he could divorce her p- privately, but at this point, she doesn't know what this is going to be like. So for her to to hear that she is going to be impregnated, not by Joseph, but by God himself, could literally cost her her life. At the very least, if she's divorced privately, for the rest of her life, she'll be known in her village as that woman who had her child out of wedlock. So for Mary to submit to the will of God not knowing what it would cost her. This was an incredible act of selflessness, selfless faith, and reckless submission. As if to say, God, if your plans for me cost me my reputation and my comfort and even my life, then let it be as you have said. It's a lot like when Jesus, her son, was in the garden and he wrestled and he said, Take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. It's the very same, same decision. And the challenge for you and me this morning is to accept the Lord's will for where we are and who we are and what life looks like for us, what we want it to look like versus what it really looks like. And for us to say, God, I submit to you. I give you what's broken, I give you what's not right. I give you what I wish was different. And perhaps this morning, that's to trust God with your marriage or your singleness, to trust God with your work, uh, trust God with your finances or your health. Perhaps it's looking at your past and trusting God with something that's happened in the past or the present, or for some of us, it's the fear of the future, to trust God with our future. Again, I don't know, but that's the Lord's doing. What's most important is submitting to God's will whatever comes our way. Matthew Henry, theologian, said this, inordinate desires commonly produces irregular endeavors. If our wishes are not kept in submission to God's providence, our pursuits will scarcely be kept under the restraint of his laws. It's about submission. Watchman Nee said it this way, revelation is the first step to holiness. Consecration, that's setting yourself apart, is the second. A day must come in our lives as definite as the day of our conversion when we give up all right to ourselves and we submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. So I have to ask this morning, have you personally said Lord, I submit my life to Jesus for the first time. Are you coming this morning? You're like, I have no idea why I'm here. But have you really given your life to Jesus Christ? He knows it's the first prayer we prayed. Almighty God, to you, all hearts are open, all desires known. And from you, no secrets are hid. He knows the reality of your relationship to him. He knows the reality of if you truly love him, obey him, and follow him, or if you just walk through the motions. He knows everything about you, and he loves you anyways. The second thing is, where is the Lord calling you today to submit to him in a new way? Perhaps there's something you've been holding apart from him, not willing to say, let it be, Lord, as you have said. Your will be done. But maybe it's my will be done, and you've been keeping something like Gollum pressed to your chest for yourself. Well, third and finally, like Mary, we're to be God-glorifying god glorifying We're to sing our own Magnificat. I love that. The Magnificat is that term for this this paragraph, so to speak, or this song that Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And it's called Magnificat because of that Latin word to magnify. And when we magnify something, what do we do? Let me ask. When we magnify, if you put a magnifying glass, what does it do? It makes it bigger. When we magnify something, we make it bigger. We make it larger, we make it more clear. and when we magnify God, we put Him on display, we make Him more clear, we project God on the screen of our lives in a more real and a, more, and a larger way. And God wants you and I to magnify Him. The reason that Mary could hear the plans of God and not scoff is because her heart was to magnify and to enlarge who God is to everyone. The reason that she could not hear the news, or that she could hear the news, that she was going to be impregnated by God and not know all the details is because she wanted God's greatness more than she had to understand how it was going to happen, or the details. And the reason she could say in verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things is because her Life hadn't changed. Her status hadn't changed. She was still, you know, poor and illiterate and uneducated more than likely. But, and she was a nobody in the world's eyes, but she was filled with God. He has filled the hungry with good things. Friends, Mary's satisfaction was not material. It was first and foremost spiritual. And that is to be our satisfaction. And so in closing, the challenge for us is is to ask, is the fundamental desire of my life to make God bigger or is it to make myself bigger? Is it to make myself more full and more satisfied or is it to make God satisfied? Is it to make, put God on display, to magnify God? So as we go to prayer, let's remember the life of Mary. It's a good life to meditate on. It's a good life to think about her testimony She was so much like us. I mean, joy and pain, laughter, disappointment, moments of incredible isolation. You know, the only person in the world who could say they were the mother of God, and yet moments of incredible community with such an amazing Christian community around her. She experienced the pain of losing her husband Joseph early. We don't hear anything about Joseph after Jesus' teenage years. She experienced the pain of losing her first child. She knew a joy that no one can ever know by bearing Emmanuel, God, with us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the life and the testimony of Mary. Thank you for her humility. Thank you for her openness and her pliability Thank you for her submissive spirit. She didn't know all the details. She didn't know the future, how you were going to work it out. She knew that she could have died, Lord, except for your grace and mercy to appear to Joseph and to explain to him what he was doing. Lord, thank you that the fundamental direction and trajectory of her life was God-glorifying. When she spoke to Elizabeth, she didn't complain and she didn't run too far ahead of you, but she just stayed in the moment and said, my soul glorifies the Lord. Lord, can we be with your Holy Spirit and with your mercy, that type of person? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you please kneel if you are able so we can have a time of intercession? Thanks for joining us for this sermon from the River Anglican Church. You can find us on the web at therivernrv.org, also on Facebook, and you can join us in person if you like on Sunday mornings at 9.15 at 110 Roanoke Street, East, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. We hope to see you again next week.